0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton.
1: Welcome back. This is Catherine Klein on Dollars and Change. And I'm Cheryl Kuhlman and we're going to be joined in this segment uh, by uh, Michael Carmody he's the CEO and founder of Karma delivers this is a new nonprofit organization designed to serve small and medium social impact organizations by leveraging commercial transportation so there's a lot to learn there about logistics. And and I see a, a connection with our previous guest. Oh, no. I've, right? I'm finding all the connections. You can't.
0: No, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> because it really is about how do you get things from yeah. one place to right. another yeah. efficiently, yeah. safely, with accountability.
1: Right, right. And where Marjo was in the last segment was all very interested in the payment of money. I think Michael will tell us he's interested, I think, in the movement of physical objects, not necessarily money. So without further ado, uh, Michael Carmody, welcome to the program.
2: Well, thank you very much. It's an honor to be here with you today.
1: Thank you so much. So um, we've been fumbling around describing Karma Delivers. I'm just betting you can describe it uh, more succinctly (laughs) and accurately than than we can. What's your vision for this new startup?
2: Well, thank you very much. um, Karma Delivers is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that really came together to address what we see within these natural disasters, and obviously everyone's heart goes out for the for the victims that are impacted. but oftentimes we we watch in horror as as logistics disasters roll out right after um such as we saw in katrina and and hopefully we're all hoping we've learned those lessons, and this current hurricane Florence will prove to be different than those previous ones. But what we've seen at Karma Delivers is there's no, there's no real central player for coordinating the movement of goods across the entire impact zone across different players. So oftentimes what I do in the, in the private sector is I, I work with software for a particular shipper, but it has multiple providers that have to be all succinctly and timely. Communicated with in documentations provided back and forth for both parties to be successful.
1: The, the, image, like the, to... the image that's coming to mind for me is uh, air traffic controllers who are you know controlling what planes are coming in and what planes are coming out of, of any uh, of any airport. And I think you're talking about what's you know what's getting delivered into a, 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 in the aftermath of a natural disaster. What's coming in? What's coming out? And how do we do that? most efficiently. Absolutely.
2: And and how do we leverage what assets and resources are already available but don't know how to participate? One of the things that I found within Launching Karma Delivers is that there's a huge community of the transportation and logistics world that wants to wants to participate and wants to help but they don't want their assets to get sucked into a disaster operation and then they can't get them out because they can't get unloaded for Three or four days, or something, and now they're they're out of business.
1: So, Michael, I'm really um, I'm, I'm I'm thirsting for some specifics here, uh, and uh, you know, like should, as you think about this, maybe you just really give us a, a a concrete example, whether it's Hurricane Florence or another one. Are you know are, are you focused on? The disaster Uh, hits. You go into action. What does that look like? Yeah, exactly. And what's better? Who 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 is behaving, or you know, or not is working more efficiently, more effectively because karma delivers is at play.
2: Well, that's a great question. Um, A great example could be the Puerto Rico island that is still trying to recover from Hurricane Maria. Yeah. What we're seeing is is Karma Delivers is not a a first responders. We're we're not set up to send people in to help or do anything of that nature during the disaster. Really, we come into play as kind of that second wave Mm. to help out the organizations that are now trying to rebuild Hmm. after the disaster. Mm -hmm. And that's where we don't see any attention being put to kind of after the people have been saved. What about all the people that now have to rebuild their homes? So that's usually left to the nonprofit community. And they typically have the least amount of resources and skill sets to rebuild after a disaster.
1: Interesting. So what would be different in Puerto Rico? I mean, it sounds like the, the time, you know, you're, a, a Karma Delivers is still at an early stage, I understand. But, Correct. you know, if you were, a, 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 and we'll, we'll, we'll ask you later how, how far along you are, but if you were fully operational and working in Puerto Rico today, that would be the second stage. Maybe that's the third stage, but it's clearly not the first stage. No. Um, right, right. Who you know what would what would be different? Who would be able to act, uh, and and be of be of help?
2: Well, primarily we would be looking to pull in um, a collaboration effort from nonprofits that are based in Puerto Rico, where we would provide them the technology and consulting and skill sets, including templates and data elements that they're going to need to be successful with the toolkit that we have. But we would be focused in on sustainability solutions that focus on green energy, um, organic foods, structures, clean water, and providing the tools for the organizations that need to rebuild, whether they're building a a microgrid for solar energy, whether they're building an urban garden to be able to feed their community, whatever they're working on, we're providing them with the knowledge, support, skill set, and team Bring that operation up and running and then to continue to support them ongoing.
0: So that's a kind of interesting description. And I'm, I'm envisioning, you know, the, the power grid, I think, is one that is easy for me to imagine. Um, so that they don't have electricity, things have been wiped out, there's a lot of problem. they want to get electricity. Rather than trying to wait for the government or whoever to get the, the big power grid up, you come in with these kind of innovative approaches to correct. help solve some of the problems. So in some ways it's it's both the fact that you're coming in the second wave and that you're bringing in things that might not have been there before that can solve some of the problems.
2: That's correct. Some of it will be technology, some of it will be hardware, some of it will be the skill set of the volunteers or staff members that are assigned to the project. So So there's a lot that goes into it and it's really a collaboration. We don't really do any of this on our own it's really driven by the nonprofit customers that need the software to coordinate their logistics program in order to build a new school or um put up a a garden of some sort that they want to use you know land that had been destroyed we have we have a template to come in and, and that we're using right now we're putting in detroit where we can take um abandoned land like a lot or tear down a building and build it from ground up a urban greenhouse hmm. to address the food uh, deserts that are growing across the urban centers
1: right we're talking with Michael Carmody the CEO and founder of karma delivers uh, Michael tell us uh, how far along are you when did you you know when did you establish when did you officially become a 501 uh, C3 let's just start there when did you officially become a 501c3
2: uh, we got our status last October, so we're mm-hmm. just coming into our first year of being a, a nonprofit.
1: Got it. And-, um,
2: and and we just organized previous to that about six months. Ah, um,
1: uh-huh.
2: we, came, we came up through the um, nonprofit incubator called The Power of Purpose. Hmm. And they're an organization that has a goal to launch 10,000 nonprofit organizations.
1: Interesting. Interesting.
2: And I happen to be friends with the family that launched that organization. So I've been following along with them for about six or eight years, mm-hmm. and and it was really just a, um, a connection I made with um, a, a lady named Lucy Gengilis from Paris, France, who happened to work for the World Health Organization. So she was telling me about how the logistics work across the NGO community globally, and I started talking about the things that I'm doing with my private sector clients, and we were like, boy, we should really make a nonprofit. That supports this NGO community with logistics software.
1: Right. So, tell us a little bit more about the the business, the, the for profit angle, um, because I'm interested in understanding what that is, and then how and 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 understanding how you see this applying in natural disasters. So, you also it it, it sounds like you're also doing for profit consulting. What's that look like? What's that? What's your focus there?
2: Okay. Um, so, I've I've been a software consultant for enterprise clients, which are Essentially, large clients with multiple sites, multiple countries, multiple products. Um, so there's very large software packages out there that are, are cloud-based, software as a service, where you can subscribe, go into that software, configure it for your business operational needs. Whether it's a process flow, let's say in your crossdock, or whether it's an inventory planning, or even in inventory replenishment process inside your warehouse. Mm-hmm. So. I'm, my specialty is transportation and I I now work for Invista which is a software consulting firm mm-hmm. during the day and then I do not I do the karma delivers at night
1: Got it got it yeah yeah so a uh, fascinating journey and you know I think one that resonates with um you know, lots of our our listeners, lots of our uh, you know our, our students who are interested and in, you know who are who have a strong commitment to purpose and are, and are f- trying to figure out how do they use their, their business skills and their business strategies to for to fulfill a larger social purpose. What's been surprising to you as this journey? You you know you described uh, um, the incubator, the nonprofit incubator that you were part of. Uh, and watching that from the sidelines, you've been part of it, uh, thinking about this. What's been surprising to you? What's taken longer than you expected, or has been harder, for example?
2: Um, it's really the connecting to the donor community that's been a little bit harder for me. Um, I, I'm very familiar and comfortable with competitive proposals and going out and, and finding business um, within the donor community. There's there's a lot of interest, but there's also reluctance, from what I can tell. The, uh putting money out into organizations that are unproven or untested or too new and nobody really knows yet. I don't know the exact reasons, but I believe or I'm feeling that there's this sense of, um, that there's a lot of fraud in the nonprofit industry or maybe not fraud, but not clean and clear understanding of who they're working with. And I guess it's, it's been a lot more selling of me and my background. Than I had anticipated within the donor community.
0: Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. It's it's very difficult. Um, and having worked in, in nonprofits and applied for more grants than I'd like to to think about, donors are often very cautious about um, new approaches in in nonprofits in a way that they're often not. In for profits in business, you know they're That's very interesting, right? Yeah, because I think that there's a, a real sense often, and I've had donors say this: there's a real sense that in the for profit, you can get a pretty good sense about whether the product's going to work. People either buy it or they don't; they use it or they don't, and that becomes pretty obvious. It's mm-hmm. harder sometimes in in nonprofits to know uh, to, to really get the the data and the information that help you to know whether people are whether you're being really useful whether you're serving a need that hasn't been met so I think there's often that cautious about sort of saying bring me something a little bit more proven and then then I'll be willing to, to go on to right.
1: it also occurs to me that there's a mindset in the you know with our, with our investments with our financial investments not not investments in the the, the real sense not you know like investing in a nonprofit and not, right. not, not a donation um, you know, there is such a language and a mindset about risk, and we yeah. understand, you know, in the venture capital world, it's well understood that, you know, the vast majority of investments are going to fail, fail, and we're, in. if we're lucky, we're going to have, you know, one great you unicorn, know, one great unicorn, one great success, yep. and we don't have that mindset, you know. And, I, and it, as as you describe these chan- challenges, Michael, it sort of occurs to me that there's this. There must be. Uh, we'd like to refer to an in inverted U, uh, and inverted U when it comes to sort of time and maturity of the nonprofit. Too early, you know, eh, really hard to get uh, donations. Established and in, but still innovative and still new. You know, a sweet spot. Yeah, you yeah. get too old. You know, like you've been around for forever. Do we really? You know, like what's new? Yeah, and and, and right. no, I want to do something more interesting. So yeah, so you're in a, you're in a tough part of the, of of the the curve to to uh, to gain traction.
2: Yep, and that's um, it's challenging, but it's also kind of exciting. Um, at the same time, I've got plenty of interest from nonprofit organizations. Uh, I'm working with the group um, Community Rehab Project out of upstate New York. They support uh, an operation in Haiti for orphans and handicapped, and they've got all these donated wheelchairs and walkers, and they just can't get them to Haiti without, you know, they can, but it's very costly and expensive to just go and ship it themselves.
0: Okay, so that's good. How are you going to help them?
2: So I'm working with some transportation and logistics partners to be able to find a partner that would be willing to do that Move for them as a donation, or at least parts of it as a donation. Maybe I can get the customs clearance documents as a donation. Maybe I can get the pickup as a donation, but I, we still have to pay for the ocean service, for example. So I'm trying to deconstruct the actual logistics moves, offer up little pieces of it to different sponsors, maybe corporate sponsors that I can have brought in, and then I can use their logos to say, hey they they sponsored the move for this nonprofit to get from New York to Haiti. Clearing these customs and these steps of logistics along the way. I mean, yeah, so that's a great sense.
1: example. Yeah. very helpful. Yeah. And, I'm, and I got to give a shout out to. Uh, and and uh, at at nine thirty uh, Eastern, we'll be joined by Gail McGovern, the CEO and president of the Red Cross. Surely, if there's any organization that has been thinking about uh, you know logistics, moving moving goods and services after disaster, I'm going to assume it's the Red Cross. The Red Cross. Absolutely. So Yeah. Very very interesting. It's, it's,
2: and they're often an example I use to say, you know, most organizations don't have the budget and skill set to pull off the logistics that I'm, I'm going to be bringing to the nonprofit world, be, except for Red Cross, right? I mean, they have the pockets, they have the donor base, they have the volunteer base, they can really afford to bring in a, a logistics solution that I'm describing, but I'm sure that their money has to be prioritized and where is it most impactful and it may not be on a, a transportation software. Right,
1: right. right. Uh, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's fascinating what you're describing. And I'm, um, I, I, you know, the the yeah, but the the little nagging question in in my mind as I listen to you is. You know what I what I've been hearing about the aftermath of of disasters, which is in many cases is please God don't you know please God don't, don't go send, shopping, yeah. don't go shopping and buy us a new stroller, don't go shopping and buy us you know diapers that that we may or may not need or that may not be the right size, you know or mm-hmm. umbrellas or whatever it is you imagine we we need we know what we need send cash. Um, how do you how do you respond to that?
2: I love that question because my my software solution, what I've been doing for private sector clients for the last six years, is full visibility. My so, The software I give can provide anybody that's participating, whether they're the shipper, whether they're the receiver, whether they're a third party that just wants to watch and make sure that the goods are moving, all can have visibility in near real time to where the truck is, proof of delivery. Um, digital settlement, so you can pay the carriers with um, cryptocurrencies so that you can m- put this solution in any country, in any currency, and it's just a matter of then having full accountability and visibility to the transactions.
1: Right, right. Right. So, so Mike- Red Cross
2: does not have that today.
1: Mm-hmm. So, Michael, as we come to the end of this segment, what's uh, talk to us about your your goals for the next year of Karma Delivers. It's early stage. What do you hope to have, you know, to accomplish in the next year um, you know, one, one or two things that are just like, yeah, if, if this is going to have the impact we want, we need to be sure of what?
2: For sure, it's going to be, I need to have my proof of concept built so I can show a mobile app and a TMS platform to potential nonprofits that would want to subscribe to this software. I have to build it. I have to have that probably in the next three to six months. And then I would say the following six months would be getting those first adopters, proof, getting those proof cases, the use cases where the software is working. We've measured the impact. We have all of the indicators to show how many people were, were benefited, what was the cost to benefit, and then who were the participants in the network that made it all happen.
1: Got it. Interesting. Well, we wish you all a great success with that, and good luck. We'll be, we'll, be, we'll be listening and watching to hear about what Karma delivers achieved. So thanks so much for being with us.
2: Uh, thank you for the time today. It's been a real
1: honor. Thank you. So, uh, and uh, int- I'm, int- I'm going to put you on the spot, Cheryl. You've been watching lots of nonprofits, uh, you know, over the course of your life. You've mm-hmm. seen uh, students launching uh, projects. What are you thinking as you listen to this? This is early stage. Is he going to pull it off? Is it? Is it- I
0: think he's he's running to exactly the challenge that you would expect. Mm-hmm. That with launching a nonprofit, it's really hard to get the, the donor buy-in at yeah. that early stage. So you almost need to go with a, a friends and family approach initially, right? Because the the kind of donors who usually fund this stuff want a little bit more proof of concept. Right. And it's hard to get that starting out. Right, right, yeah. A business collaboration might make it
1: work. Well, that's what I was yeah. wondering if there was a way to sort of – yeah, get a different with, revenue yeah, stream of yeah. some sort. United, Boeing, an airplane company, a yeah. trucking system, yeah, to, to that to, sees... to make that happen.
0: Right. But I I did think what was interesting that I didn't quite catch at first. I mean, this isn't. We kind of focused on the disaster things, but mm-hmm. this is is also just about how would you build a you know a solar solar grid in West Philadelphia? Yes. And get the
1: logistics there if if the if the uh, Uh, materials are nearby. Right, right. It also made me think I I, I was lucky to have uh, caught up with some students last night who are uh, launching a for-profit social enterprise and you know they've been at it for years and they're very, it's, uh, you know it makes me think that our students are very lucky to be in a in a place if you can do this while you're in college while you're in uh, an MBA program huge amount of resources for sort of maybe a shout out for for Wharton yeah. like we got resources to advise people you've got time you're in school cuz clearly these things are you know it's tough to do when you're when you're working a full-time job and you're doing the you're you're building your nonprofit on the uh, you know in the in, in the evenings, in the evenings. Yeah. yeah in the evenings i was also struck by um, you know we hear a lot uh, when we talk with companies and nonprofits about just the, the importance of being close to the problem and uh, not you know and not just being you know imagining, oh, uh, we have a strategy that's going to work. And we didn't have a chance to talk to Michael, but it seems to me, that, yeah. yeah, but interesting and, and important. So, all right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking with my colleague, uh, Professor Vithold Hennish, the Deloitte and Touche Professor of Management at the Wharton School. Vith's been doing fascinating research around companies' relationships with their stakeholders, particularly in emerging uh, economies. Uh, and I love the title of his class, Corporate Diplomacy. So we'll find out what that is and why corporations should do that. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back in a moment. This is Dollars and Change.
0: For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast
1: on iTunes and Google Play.